Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Reading today uh, comes out of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jump down to chapter 20. Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely send out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send your word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. This is the word of God for us today. Good morning. I made a promise. A promise. When's the last time you've said those four words? I made a promise. And when's the last time you made, we said those words and kept them, even when it puts you in danger, like it did for Sam as he and Frodo made that journey to Mordor? Heck, when's the last time you said, I made a promise when it just inconvenienced you a bit. Today we continue week two of a series we're calling Something's Missing. And I think we all feel it. We all know it. Maybe you've seen the polling data that seems to confirm it, that relationships of all kinds are really struggling. Whether they're the workplace, marriage, or um, friendships. Seems that relationships are, are really hurting and the ability to make friendships and the ability to stick with them is really um, kind of on a downward trend. Maybe we can begin to analyze and diagnose the problem by the, the, video, the movie clip we just saw. Because you see, making a promise requires a commitment. And we Americans today are tend to be a little commitment-averse. I, I hope I'm not being too harsh in that analysis, but I, I think we're just a little afraid to make commitments. And maybe that is at the root of what's ailing us when it comes to relationships. 
In her fabulous book on community, uh, retired professor uh, Christine Pohl at Asbury Seminary um, says that there are certain practices that make community possible. There are certain practices that make community stronger. And in her book, she, she goes through four of them. I, I'm, I'm looking at one of them today, and it's, it's simply about promise keeping. That the heart of healthy community is this notion of promise making and, and promise keeping. And at the foundation of that is this reality of, of commitment. Frodo and Sam have one of the, the, the strongest, greatest friendships in Western literature. And I like to think that J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, a devoted Christian, maybe had Jonathan and David in mind when he created the characters of Sam and Frodo. If you are uh, not familiar with it, there's this amazing friendship, this beautiful friendship found on the pages of 1 Samuel. Between Jonathan, who's the prince, the heir apparent, the son of King Saul, the very first king in Israel, and he would be the next king. But God has rejected Saul as king, and God has sent the prophet Samuel to a little village called Bethlehem to anoint a shepherd boy by the name of David, and he will be the next king. And you would think these two, Jonathan, the heir to the throne, and David, who's now been anointed to be king, would be bitter rivals and enemies. Quite to the contrary, they form perhaps one of the strongest friendships recorded in all the pages of scripture. So I wanna look at their story today and, and talk about friendships and relationships um, and, and what we can glean from this and what we can learn from it. Because at, 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 its, at its base, is this idea and this understanding of friendship. Because promise keeping, promise keeping sustains relationships. I made a promise, Sam said. I made a promise. And it protects my back. That promise guards my back. So the scripture reading today, um, the context is in 1 Samuel, and it follows the epic story that every kid learns about in uh, Sunday school or our children's church environment, and that's the story of uh, David, the shepherd boy, killing Goliath, the great giant warrior with his slingshot and his smooth stone. And uh, David, who has been clandestinely anointed to be the future king by Samuel the prophet, um, is... Um, traveling from his town, village of Bethlehem, to the war front. Israel's at war with the Philistines. And there he sees the spectacle going on. This powerful warrior named Goliath, who is over nine foot tall and fully armed, has come out to defy the armies of Israel and said, you send me a man, the two of us will battle, and whoever wins, the other army is the, 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 army is the victor. And they're all terrified. No one wants to go against the sight of this giant. And David comes from watching the sheep. Countryside, he's going to visit two of his brothers who are in the army, and his dad sends them to bring some, some uh, treats to him, some baked goods. And he gets there and he says, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And he takes offense. And he goes out and, you know, he kills Goliath with his slingshot. 
Well, he becomes an overnight sensation. And that's where we pick up with 1 Samuel 18. Saul the king is like, who is this guy? He wants to meet him. They do meet. And it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now, that was kind of a practice in those days that if you wanted to be a a, a good friend of somebody, you would give them tokens of friendship and pledge your allegiance to them. And so he he gives these items to him. Be today like someone giving you their letterman's jacket, their favorite ball cap, and their hunting rifle. (laughs) Here you go. That's a pretty serious relationship right there. And so um, Jonathan does this, and they become the best of friends. And again, it's, it, it, it shouldn't have even been a friendship that came together because they, they should be rivals, but this powerful relationship is forged, and he makes covenant with them. Go to chapter 20, and you see yet again where this covenant is stated. It says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. And so they each make oaths and covenants with each other. They make promises of of sustained friendship, no matter the cost. Now, that kind of practice with friends is very rare today. Although if you're my age or older, you probably remember uh, becoming a blood brother with somebody. Do you ever do that? Uh, You know what I'm talking about, huh? You'd sneak into your mom's sewing kit and you'd get one of her needles and uh, you'd prick your finger, make it bleed, and your friend would do the same thing and then you would take fingers and you would put the the blood together, like my blood's now flowing in your veins and your blood's flowing in my veins. I know it's not very hygienic, but this is what we did, okay? And you you would promise, you know, something really big like I, I will never reveal where we keep our chocolate. I will never reveal, you know, something really important like that. You'd make some kind of commitment. I was becoming a blood brother. I think uh, that stopped being done. If if you're probably uh, under the age of 50, probably never did that. Helicopter parents stole all the needles, wouldn't let you get them, you know. And, uh, And so we stopped doing that. But there still are places where we recognize that, wow, this, this relationship is so important. I need to ratify it with an oath or a vow. Of course, first things comes to mind is marriage. That, that marriage, the covenant of marriage established by God um, is so important that, that, that these two people, we believe, should stand in front of witnesses, whether there's two witnesses or 2,002, and they make promises to one another to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. I get to his pastor, so I watch right there. And I say, I hope you mean that because you guys are really poor right now. <laughs> You're gonna be tested right away. But we say that's important. Um, and, and you know, when you join a church, most churches still have membership vows. And that goes back really thousands of years where you stand before your church community and you make certain vows. We do it here. 
certain confessions of faith. And then the last one, I asked the question, are the pastor up front, will you be loyal? We would say here, will you be loyal to LaCroix Church and support it through prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? You say, I will. That's, that's saying, I'm making a commitment to this particular body of believers. What we believe that um, the church is that important and your faith in Christ and being committed to other Christians is that important that you take a vow. Largely, vow taking is, is kind of the thing of the past. Oh, there's certain professions. You're gonna take political office. You're, you're gonna take an oath. If you're gonna become a judge, you're gonna take an oath. But for the most part, we don't see a lot of that. And some of that, again, is due, I think, to um, maybe we're afraid of a commitment. But previous generations put a lot of stock in this. In fact, they, they believed that a test of a person's character was their keeping of their vows. It was vitally important. Um, in, in Psalm 15, we read this in, in the scriptures, which speak a lot of vows. It said uh, here, who may dwell in God's sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain? And then, and then the, the psalmist begins to give some examples of people who can do that. And, um, and he says here, those who keep an oath, even when it hurts and does not change their mind. That's at the, the heart of, a, of an oath, a vow. I said, even when it hurts, I'm gonna keep it. I've spoken with married couples through the years. Sometimes the only thing left in that marriage is the promise they made. And sometimes that's the only thing that holds them together. You see, making a promise means it more likely that we'll stay in that relationship, whatever it may be. It's what holds communities together. My grandfather raised me. My grandfather was born in the 1880s, okay? So long, older generation. And my grandfather's moral universe, the place of deepest disgrace was for people who uh, didn't keep their promises. My grandfather would say things like, a man's word is his bond. My grandfather would say, and you can complete this sentence, a man is only as good as, yeah, because that, that was huge. When I, when I said promise keeping is one of the practices that sustains community, most people listening to that in today's culture would say, huh, let me think about that. 100 years ago, people said, oh, of course, duh. I mean, that's so obvious. Um, because that was so vitally important. You may have heard of the novel, um, uh, called Dante's Inferno. Dante writes this story, and it's, it's, a, it's kind of a fic, it's fictional story of what hell is like, and, and he pictures hell with nine different levels. And at the very deepest level of hell, it's reserved for, well, besides Cub fans. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the modern version, I'm sorry. The older version. The older version. You know what the older version, the deepest level of hell is for people who betray important relationships in their life betray their friends, betray their country. He has Judas in this deepest level. So important did previous generations count loyalty. Now, you can look at that as like, oh, some kind of rule, but listen, friends, loyalty benefits you. Loyalty is a good thing. I made a promise and it protects my back Look at Jonathan, go back to the story now, Jonathan and David. Let me, let me catch you up to speed. So after chapter 18, Saul is 
like everybody else, enamored with this young hero. Like, where did he come from? And wow, he is some impressive dude. And then um, he is, again, adored by the people, and they start writing songs, and there's one song, and the lyric says, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Well, Saul, the king, was kind of insecure leader, insanely jealous. He hears that song and just loses it. What do you mean? They're crediting me with thousands and David tens of thousands? Who is this guy? And envy captures soul that day. Uh, Ancient spiritual writers made a list, seven deadly sins, envy was one of them. Envy can eat a person up. And from that moment on, Saul is filled with insane jealousy and envy. And one day, because he's so angry and jealous of this new upstart, he takes a javelin, throws it at David, tries to kill him, pin him to the wall. David escapes. And Jonathan confronts his dad. And and now, let me tell you, this big risk. Jonathan is, yes, he's Saul's son. But his dad is the king. And ancient kings had unlimited power. You didn't have to worry about charges and a, and a trial and reading, getting your Miranda rights. <laughs> they didn't do that. If the king didn't like what you did, off with your head, even if it's your son. So look what happens here. First Samuel 19, four, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. That's Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. Well, Saul doesn't keep that oath. Just a matter of time until his envy comes back, his jealousy overtakes him, and he tries to kill um, David once again. And so um, David has to flee. But I want you to see what Jonathan does here. That was an act of bravery. Again, if Saul didn't like what he said, he could have had Jonathan executed. And don't put it past ancient kings to execute children. They did it all the time. But Jonathan had David's back. He made an oath and he was utterly loyal to it. You know, when you have a friend that's loyal, when someone's talking bad about you and your friend is there, they say, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. You stop right now. Because they got your back. And when you're with someone, they, they start talking bad about your friend, you put an end to it. You see, it's good to have someone that watches your back. Um, In fact, without this kind of loyalty, really, community begins to fragment. Uh, Our country knows this, and it's it's evident. One of the things that gets cultivated in any branch of the service is is loyalty. It's especially captured in the Marine Corps, whose uh, motto is Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Listen to a couple Marines talk about that, that, that saying and how important it is. A lot of people know what Semper Fidelis means, but a lot of people don't know what it means to a Marine. You have to be loyal to something. You can't just be loyal in and of yourself. 
you are loyal to your fellow Marine. You're loyal to the Marine Corps. Semper Fidelis, it means always watching out for your brothers to your left and to your right. Watching their backs, whether it be at work or, you know, if they need a favor, off duty. Uh, helping them out whenever you can. It symbolizes all the trust and the, the morale that the Marines carry within themselves. It's not something that's given to you, it's something that you develop throughout your Marine Corps career. It's something that the Marines carry inside of them. What makes me most proud about being a Marine is the legacy, tradition, uh, esprit de corps, uh, sense of belonging. Tradition and pride is one of the greatest things that we have. Uh, when you join the Marine Corps, you're picking up the torch and you are stepping into the boots of the people who've laid the groundwork of this country who have fought and died to keep this country where it is. The Semper Fidelis, Semper Fi, always faithful. And um, well, I never had the privilege of serving in, in the service, spoken many veterans, and I've heard a number of them through the years say they've never been able to replicate the kind of um, um, commitment that exists between fellow soldiers, especially in, in battle. So powerful. So it benefits you. I made a promise, and it guards my back. I made a promise, and it makes me stronger. Um, I'm going to, because there's so much here, I'm going to summarize several chapters in First Samuel. I would encourage you to go home and read it. It's a great story. Read more about the, the, the story, the friendship of Jonathan and David. So in First Samuel 17, the story of David killing Goliath. Jonathan is silent through the whole chapter. Not a word about him. Now, according to the customs of that day, Jonathan should have been the one who stood up to take on the, uh, um, the, the taunting and the challenge from Goliath. He should have been the guy to step into that, but he didn't. Why? Well, we're not told. I think maybe he just lost heart. He lost courage. And before we're too harsh on him, I think we all can look at times in our life where we, we lost courage. But David steps into that. And instead of being jealous of David, he's deeply grateful for David did what maybe he should have done. So then there are other times when it's David who's weak and Jonathan is strong for him. After that episode when Jonathan talks his dad off the ledge and his dad says, oh, you know, King says, I'm not gonna hurt him anymore. Well, again, he gets filled with jealousy and, and he tries to kill David again and then he makes a pledge that he's gonna kill David and so they work up this system where, you know, Jonathan, before David comes back to the palace where he lived, he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out what my dad really thinks about you and I'll let you know. Well, he really wants to kill him and this time he goes off on Jonathan just in a fit of rage Jonathan has to go and tell his friend that um, his father wants to kill him. And so David runs for 13 years. He will be on the run, living in the wilderness, evading the capture and killing of the king. And so there are times when Jonathan goes to him. And see, that's, that's what friends do. Sometimes one is strong and the other is struggling. But that one who's strong can be, can be there for the one who's struggling and then vice versa. A good, a strong friendship is, is reciprocal in nature. Um, I, I think this is seen in how one pulls along the other and makes the other stronger in, a, in the sport of cycling. In the sport of cycling, there is a um, strategy called drafting. 
And uh, instead of me trying to explain it, I asked a good friend of mine and a world-class cyclist who uh, has competed at the highest levels. In fact, he won a world uh, championship in duathlon, which is cycling and running. Um, I asked him to come, and he's been a friend of mine for over three decades. Bill Logan is kind of a treasure uh, in our part of the country uh, for his exploits in cycling. So, Bill, why don't you come on up and explain this whole thing of drafting, and let's see what that means. Would you guys give a good welcome to Bill and Chuck Barwick with him? So this might have happened to you. I'm sure it has. You worked all day, you're tired. All you can think about is I'm going home, I'm going to eat, I'm going to watch the Cardinals beat the Cubs. But as you're driving along on Route W, you come up upon a group of bike riders. And lo and behold, they're all over the road. My friend Chuck here is leading our group. And he's out to the left-hand side. He's almost on the yellow line. And I like Chuck because he's got big shoulders. I can sit right behind him. He blocks the wind for me. He makes it easy for me. I like him because he's a friend, but he is a good block. So the riders are staggered like this. Chuck is right here. I'm right here. There's three more riders in behind us. Why are they staggered? Because the wind is out of the left. So Chuck's blocking the wind for me, I'm blocking the wind for the third guy, and so forth, all the way to the back. The fifth guy's got a free ride. He's got it real easy. I've got a much easier ride than Chuck has. Now, we can go along this way for a long time, but Chuck is gonna get real tired. And being a friend that I am, I say, Chuck, move over to the left. He moves over a little bit. Then I take the lead and Chuck goes to the back and rest. That's what friends are for. And I didn't tell Chuck before we started this, but we're going down to Sykeston today on a bike and come back. And that should be about a three hour ride if we do it real well and he blocks the wind, I block the wind for the other guys. If we don't, if Chuck has to stay out there the whole time, Chuck's gonna be dead tired by the end. I'm getting somewhat of a free ride and the guy at the back is having a real joy ride. But that's what friends are for. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Bill. It's, it is a good illustration, I think, of what happens in, in real friendship is that uh, one uh, is strong and is out there um, and then the other is being pulled along by their, their friend. And Jonathan does this for David and David does this for Jonathan. Let's look at an example of where David does this for, I mean, Jonathan does it for David. First uh, Samuel chapter 23 in verse 15, uh, David is on the run because Saul is wanting to kill him. It says, while David was at Haresh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Haresh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Haresh. 
I love that little picture there because what, is, what happens? David is low, he's been running for a while and now the report is Saul is out with his army looking for him again. And uh, his heart sinks and lo and behold, Jonathan shows up at this down moment when he's really hurting and it says what? He helps him find strength in God. You know, that's what spiritual friends will do for you. They'll help you find strength in God because some days you're weak. Some days your faith is wavering. Some days you pray and you wonder, are my prayers even hitting the ceiling, let alone getting to heaven? And a friend, a brother, a sister, believes when you can't believe. They pray when you can't pray. And they're there for you. And then when roles are reversed, you are there for them both ways. Um, this is what happens. We get grounded. And you know what another thing friends do, as Jonathan does? They remind us important truths about us in God's eyes. What, you see David's, um, it's a Jonathan's speech to David. He says, my father's not gonna kill you. God has made a promise. You're gonna be king. You're gonna be king. This is all gonna be true of you. Sometimes you need somebody who believes in you and knows God's promises and can say to you, you are God's beloved. You are chosen of God and God has his hand on you and God has a plan for you. He has a, a hope and a future for you. That's called speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we think of that as correction and sometimes friends do need to correct. If we really love one another, we do need a correction now and then. A lot of times it's just telling you and letting you hear the truth about the situation. God's gonna keep his promises for you, my friend. It's gonna be good. And um, David finds strength in God and he's able to um, stay on the run. He's able to evade capture and he's able to stay strong in spirit. In fact, some of the Psalms that we find so meaningful and that are treasures to us were written during this 13 year period was David was on the run and in, in these hard, difficult moments, he writes about God's faithfulness and God's goodness and part of it is because he had a friend who reminded him of that. Oh, I made a promise and it protects my back. I made a promise and it makes me stronger. And one, one last thing, I made a promise and keeping it makes me like God. Um, in this previous conversation we looked at in, in chapter 20 when Jonathan is speaking to David and they're making covenant with one another and Jonathan sees the handwriting on the wall. He knows that he will not ascend to the throne that David will. He says, show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live and that I may not be killed. That's what happened when a rival king would come. He'd wipe out the whole family. He says, Show me kindness like the Lord's kindness because Jonathan knew God. Two powerful things David and Jonathan have in common. They love the same God and they love their country and they were devoted to one another and they were devoted to the success of God's people. They had so much in common. But he says, he refers to God's character. The very first description of the character of God occurs in the book of Exodus. And here it says, this is um, the Lord passing in front of Moses and it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Our God 
as a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Our God is faithful. He is always true. He will always keep his word. This is the very nature of God. It's who he is. He's faithful. The, the late uh, professor of ethics, theologian, Lewis Smeads, um, wrote one of the best books I've ever read on the topic of forgiveness. You get a hold of it, it's fantastic. And um, he said this once, if you have a ship, you will not desert. If you have a people, you will not forsake. If you have a cause, you will not abandon. Then you are like God. Because our God is a covenant-keeping God, a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And in this beautiful story of the friendship of Jonathan and David, they stayed true to one another until the very end, until that fateful day when the Philistines overwhelmed the army of Israel. And Jonathan and his two brothers and King Saul were killed in battle. I think in the beginning of 2 Samuel is recorded this psalm of lament, this song that David writes weeping for his friend Jonathan and even for the king who had pursued him. He doesn't take delight in what this means for him. He stayed true to his friend until the end. Later this fall in another series, I'm gonna come back to this story. In fact, on Orphan Sunday, we're gonna come back to this story where we see how David kept his word, how he kept his promise several decades later. So that part ends beautifully. But you know, the, the sad thing here is that we have no evidence that David ever had another friend like that. He, he soon becomes king and he gets busy running a kingdom and Israel's doing well and growing and administering the kingdom. There's really no evidence that David has any friends. Which means he's kind of a lot like we American men. You know, guys, most guys in our country really haven't had a true friend since high school or college. Really. Well, they've got associates and people they know, lots of people they know. But friends, real friends, not so much. And I wonder, David, I wonder if he had a Jonathan in his life, if it would have, turned, if it would have been different that day he went walking on the roof and saw Bathsheba bathing. I wonder if it would have been different. I don't know. We'll never know. Um, friends are there. It's a gift from God. At, at, usually when my wife is here, and she's usually here Saturday or 9.15, she's here and I say, oh, well, is there anything I can improve? And gotta watch out what you ask my wife sometimes because she's gonna tell me. And she said, Ron, you said friends 500 times and you know, friends is a weak word today. And you know, she's kind of got a point. I think Facebook forever ruined the word friends. Oh yeah, I've got 5,000 of them. No, you don't. <laughs> you know the difference. But there's something. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so um, I'm jealous for you guys, because I know. When my two best friends died just a couple years after each other from cancer, 
In the early 50s, I was sort of lost for a while. And um, I wandered during a very difficult season in my life without my buddies. And I had to make a decision. Was I gonna cultivate deep friendships again or just play it safe and not get hurt again? I'm so glad that I stepped forward into that. Um, this week, went and um, met with a, one of my best friends. His name's Brian. He's a fellow senior pastor, serves a church over in Fredericktown. And uh, we're both senior pastors. And sometimes, you know, it helps to get folks to do what you do. You know, if you're a teacher, it probably helps to talk to another teacher now and then, right? If you're, if you're a cop, probably helps to talk to other policemen and now and then you kind of, you know, commiserate or just talk about the things you face. And he and I were together. And he's one of those guys that when I get, I look at my watch, I say, oh my gosh, we've been talking for two and a half hours. Where'd the time go? He's just one of those friends. I won't reveal what we talked about, but I'll say this, that he helped me find strength in God and I helped him find strength in God and we finished that day praying for each other. And I'm so grateful for Brian. And I'm so grateful that he came into my life about that time. It's a gift from God. I hope you have that. So what does is, what is promise keeping look like for us today? Well, obviously, if there's been a vow associated with it, like marriage, it means you keep your vow. But in, in these less formal relationships, what does is, what is friendship look like? I think it looks like commitment. And commitment is spelled T-I-M-E. You know why I think friendship's on the wane? The number of Americans saying they have no friends at all has gone from 3% to 12. Now, that means 88% of Americans have good friends. That's awesome. But it's quadrupled in the past 20 years. There's a trend that's very disturbing. You know why? Because we get so busy, we just quite frankly don't make the time for it. The thing that will cultivate a friendship is time. There's all kinds of ways here at LaCroix. You can do that. You can do that through small groups. Rooted, you can get involved in Rooted. We talked about coming up. Um, there, there are ways to go deeper, as deep as you want to go in, in community and in, in relationships. And I would look them out. I would look for them, but it's going to probably take you doing what I had to do a few years ago. It's like, I got to, you know, I got to step forward. You know, best way to find friends, the old saying goes, is be a friend. Be a friend. Step towards community. Because God wants someone to help, several, doesn't have to be many, two or three, to watch your back, to be strong for you when you're not strong, and to be in your corner. Uh, you're gonna be stronger, you're gonna run a better race as a disciple of Jesus because you got that support. I made a promise. I made a promise, and it guards my back and it gives me strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, friendships in our world, the, the friends that stick closer than a brother. We thank you for the story of Jonathan and David. And I pray, Lord, that uh, the story will speak to us yet again. It's your word, after all. So God, I pray for those who are living in utter loneliness. I pray for those who are isolated. I pray for those who, um, if they would be honest 
probably friendless now. Really? God, give them courage and grace to take these steps they need to do, to take the steps they only can take towards community. Help us to be that kind of place that fosters real community, strong relationships. Give us your grace to be loyal, to be true, to be strong for one another. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.